Well, that was a little bit of whimsy under the sea from The Little Mermaid, but it's a lovely introduction to our well-travelled reporter, Carolyn Jasinski, who enjoyed a memorable experience sleeping on a pontoon in the middle of the ocean directly above the Great Barrier Reef. It was another form of her favourite accommodation, glamping. It's called Reef Sleep, and it's about two hours by boat from Hamilton Island in Queensland's southern Great Barrier Reef. Carolyn also has an informative discussion with a passionate microbiologist and the Reef Sleep manager, Greg Hoare, who tells our reporter the reef in this area is in pretty good shape. I am the luckiest girl in the world. I'm on a pontoon out in the middle of the Great Barrier Reef, right next to Hardy Reef. And I'm here to do reef sleep, which is an amazing experience where we sleep on the top of the pontoon. And I'm here with Greg Hoare, who is the pontoon manager. Hi, Greg. How are you going? I'm really good, thank you. It's it's so lovely to be here. And we've just snatched you away from all your yeah. your busy <laughs> activities here. It's been a hectic day. So we've started off on Hamilton Island. And we caught the Cruise Week Sundays D flight, flight yeah. out, which is this massive Big ship. wave person, yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful boat. Uh, it was a bit rough coming out here. But two and a half hours later, we're out on this gorgeous pontoon and in amongst the reef. It was high tide when we got here. Yeah. Now it's low tide and we can see the barrier reef. A lot, lot, lot of coloration out there, yeah. It is just, I've never seen the barrier reef poke its head up through the, yeah, the water. Yeah, so at low tide, we'll actually get parts of the reef like you know extending over the um, low tide yeah it's... so you get to see like a little bit of the coral actually you know protruding out of the water yeah yes now i learned today that the little bits that are discolored are because it's very hard for them to live above water yeah so um a lot of the corals depending on the species can actually um start to produce like a mucus layering uh-huh. and this actually basically acts as a sunscreen it provides SPF for the corals and it actually stops them from desiccating and drying up right. and protects them throughout that low tide period. So you will see areas of the reef that are sticking out. Now, if they were um, exposed to that direct sunlight exposure for days at a time, obviously they'd slowly die off. Right. But just for a few hours during the low tide, it's okay. It's okay. And they'll have that mucus layer protecting them. Wow. Which it's pretty amazing to see at low tide as well because you actually get to see the contours of the reef and the different colonies sticking up. It's stunning from yeah. here where, we, where I was standing next to my glamping swag and um, looking at it I've never seen it before but you can probably guess that that Greg is really well qualified to be here so you're a marine biologist yeah so um, my background is basically all marine biology so um, I've moved over from New Zealand in end of August start of September Um, I was working for the government over there in marine research and science cruise with Sundays came a calling and asked me to manage the pontoon told me I get to do you know these um, surveys of the reef and checking the the health of the reef, uh, whether the coral has disease, key indicator species identification, bleaching identification as well, um, as well as like uh, storm and weather damage. So we do okay. do surveys and, you know, we check it out and just try to monitor the health and see if it's... So your job extends far more than just, just looking yeah, after exactly, people. Yeah. So during the day you're looking after, you know, sometimes 250 people, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, about that, yeah. So yeah. luckily it's not just me. <laughs> yeah, there's we a big crew. We have plenty of eyes in the water, but yeah, throughout the day mainly it is, you know, um, making sure the the customers are looked after and all the guests are, you know, um, feeling comfortable in the water and um, supervised all times. And then we also do, you know, those semi-sub tours. You yes. might have seen me taking the boat out for a little bit. Yeah, now. I went in it. Had yeah, a nice. Yeah, yeah, saw George, the uh, Queensland groper. Queensland groper, yeah. Yes. He's our big resident um, groper that we have under the 350 pontoon. 350 kilo- 
That's, Kilograms. That's my estimate, yeah. So um, they have been known to grow up to around 450. Really? And I've swam nice and close to George, and he dwarfs me. And, wow. And I'm, I mean, I'm not a short fella. How tall are you? About 6'3". Right. So, um... And he's much taller and much, much wider. <laughs> so it's just an estimation, but I'm saying around 350. Wow. Uh, maybe even north of that. But So I it, saw him from a distance. Yeah. I did my first introductory dive oh, nice. today. We did a snorkel, which was really good because it was it was so good to have um, a guide with us. Yeah. Not only to... No. Nah. No, not at all. But oh, that's good. it was lovely to have Peter there yeah. to tell us what we were looking at. Peter's amazing as well. Yeah. Peter's been... You know, within this industry for most of his life. Yep. Wealth of knowledge, great guy. Uh, me and Peter get along very well. Very so, funny yeah. guy. Yeah. He's very funny. But um, you're right. His his knowledge is amazing. You know, yeah. he'll point out something and then we we talk about it. And you know, it might be the clams. Yeah. Or specific fish, or he's telling us the different corals, the stag coral, or the yeah, brain, the, or the, brain, the yeah. brain coral. Yeah, it was really interesting. But then to go. Underwater and see it all, and see it all, and then you go underneath those ledges that you were looking down yeah. on, and see all the big fish under there. And you just see like an abundance of different species. Oh yeah. One of the things that Great Barrier is known for is obviously its vast biodiversity. Right. It's regarded as one of the most biodiverse ecosystems on the planet, and you know just to have that on our back door, it's it's pretty amazing. It is. It is. We're very very lucky. Now I know we were talking before. Can you touch a little bit on? One of the reasons you're out here is not only to manage yeah. the people during the day and then you look after all the research and surveys and stuff and you've also got a really special project that you hope to get off the ground, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so um, the reason for me accepting this job, um, where my passions you know, truly lie, is um, coral conservation and restoration. So um, I was lucky enough to be part of a project up north where the whole goal of the operation was to propagate the growth of heat-resilient corals um, through the fragmentation process. Mm-hmm. So to fragment colonies that have already shown resilience to um, bleaching or storm and weather damage or even disease, fragment tiny areas of that colony and replant it on an area, um, on a mesh housing site. So it's established on the reef, it's attached to a substrate right. and allow it to grow You know, a year or two basically until it's grown enough so that it's formed its own juvenile colony. Right. Then when it's at the right size, right age, we then replant that on the reef in areas that have been hit badly by weather damage, storms, it's or cyclones, even bleaching. You mentioned. Cyclones, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we had yeah. Cyclone Debbie that came past a few years ago. Yep. Um, and there is still areas of the reef that you know haven't been able to recover and haven't been able to establish new coral growth. Right. And I think um, it would be such a good project to get involved with because not only does it show that, you know, I think conservation is key. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why I got into marine biology. Coral restoration has always been on the forefront of my mind, and it's one of the main reasons that I did take this job and move from New Zealand. Yeah. And I think we can always be doing more. So the idea of getting this restoration program off the ground and running is, you know, is something I do think about often. Yeah, and, and it's, it's a great place to do it. because well, exactly. a, And also spread the word. With all the people coming out here yeah. to see this, I mean, you know, to, to take the, the day trip out here, we're going the extra step and staying the night. Yeah, exactly. That's going to be fun, waking up with the sunrise. And you'll probably get Chuck the Turtle as well. I think you saw him a little bit saw earlier. Chuck the Turtle, yeah. yeah. Um, so he shows up usually every morning too. Oh. That's always a good sight for the guests. Um, so that was fantastic because we saw him from the top and then we were able to, to go, go into the yeah. semi-submersible and see him through the windows. So it's just a, a really, mind you, uh, all the crowds have gone. Yeah, At exactly. 3 o'clock, the boat goes back to the mainland yeah. and the people that are staying here get the whole pontoon Sorry, to it's, themselves. It's, it's like clockwork. There's... 
there's immediate, you know, just relaxation wash over the pontoon. Yes. But not only that, because of the, you know, larger crowd leaves and the larger vessel leaves. Yep. There's not less noise disturbance. There's less disturbance in the water. Mm -hmm. And that's when you do start to see a lot more, you know, variety in the fish species, a lot more abundance as well. And some of the megafauna, some of the larger species, like the stingrays or even some of the reef sharks or even the turtles come out and hang around. All right. And it is mainly because they know that, like, all right, well, there's only, you know, 10 people in the water now compared to yeah. 50 or 60. So we're allowed to go snorkel and, yeah, and dive and do well, anything we like. Exactly. We're very spoiled. And tonight we've got dinner on the pontoon, dinner, yeah. so, um, breakfast well, again in the morning. Yeah, it's a lovely breakfast that um, our chef Anton cooks up. Yeah, so... So there's a crew of how many out here at night? So at the moment, so we do have myself, who's the pontoon manager. Um, we have uh, Ator, who's the reef experience manager. We have three of the hosties, Danielle, Ellen, and Nicole. And then uh, we have the caretakers as well, mm -hmm. uh, which is Meg, um, Pinky, or Thomas Stedman, and, um, as well as Morgan. So, so and, and how many guests? Sunny. I think we've got 15 tonight. 15. Yeah. So there's how many tents are there? Or swags? Uh, swags. We have about 12 swags. Each swag fits in two. And then we have um, obviously room for four down in the reef suites as well. Right. Oh, the reef suites are very, very flash. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're actually the one who's in the fishbowl. Yeah. Have you been showing them? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Have a look around there. It's beautiful. But I really, I'm really impressed with the swag. So we're up on the top top deck of the pontoon. Yeah. Swags are lovely. And you get the sunrise. Yes. Yeah. And they're not your average swag. They're up off the ground. So there's room for a little bag underneath. And We, we like to call them glamping swags. Yes. Yeah. Very Group. Glamorous camping. Yeah, so. mix glamour with camping and you get glamping. It's perfect. Yeah. This is a really fantastic place, but I love that it's not just a place to come and stay and that you've got all these really cool plans yeah. to protect the reef and to, you know, help it get back to normal. Can we just I know we're running out of time. We could just touch very briefly on the fact that there's a lot of talk about the reef is in trouble yeah. and it's and it's you know it's dying, it's bleached in yeah. places. And we saw today a couple of the spots where the cyclone caused a little collapse. There was like looks like a little landslide. Yes, it, yeah. yeah, but it was really good to have that explained. Yeah, rather than think, oh god, that's dying, and also the fact that the bulk of the coral is brown. Yeah, and that's really really healthy. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that the you know the coral's unhealthy because the zooxanthellae, which is the photosynthetic um, microalgae that lives within the coral's tissue, yep. a lot of the time the color that they you know represent is brown. Right. So you get this kind of there's a kind of a preconceived misconception that you know people come to the reef and they see a brown coral, they're like, oh that coral's not doing very well, which is actually the opposite, the complete opposite. Yeah. yeah. The coral is healthy. Brown is a very natural color that um, is expressed through the algae. Mm -hmm. However, there is certain species um, or types of zooxanthellae that you know express that much more reddish or bluish or okay. greenish color, which yeah. gives the the reef its vibrance and that beautiful coloration stuff. Mm. So it not doesn't necessarily mean you know those those brownish colonies are dead or not doing very well. No, they it's don't. Just, they don't look as good in the postcards. They don't look as good in the postcards, <laughs> exactly. But once you know that that's really healthy, yeah. it, that's that is so good. It's more of the um, when you can see a bare white skeleton. That's when we know there has been a little bit of damage, right? And that can be either through um, bleaching, which can be caused by. A variety of different methods. The most common one is obviously thermal bleaching, rising sea temperatures. Uh, but you can also have like freshwater bleaching and chemical bleaching and things like that. Anything that is a little bit out of the norm for the coral in terms of water quality can stress the corals out, which can lead to a little bit of bleaching. Does that kill them or can they recover? So they can fully recover from bleaching. Basically, how bleaching is described is it's the separation of the zooxanthellae, that photosynthetic microalgae, from the colony's tissue. So it's the plant and the animal splitting up. 
Right. So they're animal, which is a coral polyp, uh, polyp basically an upside-down jellyfish, right. living in a symbiotic relationship with that microscopic algae. Now, the algae benefits from this relationship because, you know, they're getting a home, uh, and the animal, the coral polyp, benefits because they're getting free food. So two right. organisms working together in symbiosis, or in mutual beneficial, uh, a mutually beneficial relationship, yep. to help each other survive and aid each other. <laughs> now, what bleaching refers to is the separation of that symbiotic relationship. Right. Um, when conditions become too warm, the coral um, will actually expel out of that photosynthetic material from within its tissue. And because the algae that Suzanne Thelio is referring to gives all of that beautiful bright coloration to the corals, once that leaves, all that's left is the coral pulp and the calcium carbonate endoskeleton, right. which is predominantly white. Hence the term bleaching, right. because it's literally losing all of that color and becoming that kind of whiter skeleton that we're um, so familiar with. now. When condition, conditions do return, if the water temperature drops or, you know, the water quality becomes comes back to the norm, the zooxanthellae within the coral's tissue begin to multiply. Right. Um, they can even come back within the colony and it'll get that beautiful vibrant color back okay. and basically come back to life. So okay. we don't refer to bleaching as the colony is dead. How I like to see it is it's basically in an, an extremely stressed state or a state of starvation. It can no longer photosynthesize to its full ca capability, mm -hmm. so it's sadly slowly starting to starve to death. Right. However, so once those elements that, get back together? Then sometimes, you know, it replenishes itself, all of that beautiful vibrant color comes back, and then it will become a healthy colony again. That's However, it does take pretty perfect weather conditions for that to happen. Right. And obviously, bleaching is a natural process. However, the bleaching numbers that we have seen within, you know, the last 10, 20 years, are a bit worrying just in the grand scheme of things. Right. But yeah. from what I saw today, would you call today's, what, what you've got around here, you've got Hardy Reef and just over the... we got Hook Reef and hook, Bait Reef as well. Yeah. Yeah. So we saw quite a bit of it. Yeah. And it looked really good to me. Yeah. It was very brown. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly <laughs> like you healthy. said, the brown yeah. is still healthy. Um, look, there are areas that were hit very badly, Yeah. Um, especially by Cyclone Debbie as well. Yeah. Um, weather and storm damage, again, it's a completely natural process. Um, however, coral bleaching is the one that, you know, we're gravely concerned about. Right. And the reason this being is because even though there's a lot of conflicting, you know, um, information coming out that, you know, the coral cover on the Great Barrier Reef hasn't changed much, the biodiversity has. So some of these colonies and species have been, you know, present on the reef for thousands of years. Some of the, these colonies are very long-lived species. And what we're seeing is them slowly start to die off and be replaced by a lot of the faster-growing Acropora species, like the staghorn corals okay. and things like that. Yeah. So although our coral cover is still somewhat similar to, you know, 10 years ago, we are seeing a loss of biodiversity, which is why, you know, we do say that the reef is somewhat under threat. Okay. Yeah. So your restoration project... That's what I'm hoping. We need to get that off the ground. Well, again, I'm yeah. trying to get the ball rolling. Yeah. That's something that, you know, is very close to my heart. It's something I'm passionate about. And... I see benefits for the company, not only in the financial sector, but also um, repeat customers, most importantly, obviously, the conservation side of things. Yeah. And I think it just, it gives not only the crew, but also the guest a general sense of well-being, you know, just being mm. part of something where you are trying to, you know, aid the restoration and the recovery of the Great Barrier Reef. Yeah. And yeah. they can see it, then they can return. And they can return, yeah. And then they can see the progress. Exactly. Thank you so much for your time. That's it's been right. lovely. Now Thank I'm going to go and have a glass of wine and go to my bathing we'll swag. Yourself. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Cheers. Carolyn Jasinski there speaking with Reef Sleeps Greg Hoare. More information? Sailing-Whitsundays.com. Sailing-Whitsundays.com.